Good morning. Have you ever found yourself asking a question something like this? If God is so good, why do bad things happen? Or when I look around in my life and all I see is evil and trouble and trial, where is God then? I think most of us and most people in general are asking this question. And if you don't believe me, talk to any non-believer and ask them some of the reasons why they have trouble believing in God. And some of the reasons are questions like this. How can God be as good as you say when there are so many bad things happening? But you don't have to feel guilty for asking that question. Because the book of Habakkuk itself is about this question. Today as we look through the book of Habakkuk, and we're going to look through it in both lessons today, one of the things we're going to see is really the main focus that the prophet has is this question. God, I see a lot of bad things. I see a lot of injustice. I see a lot of trouble. What are you going to do about it? Because right now it doesn't seem like you're doing anything. And we're really going to see Habakkuk challenge God. We're going to see Habakkuk ask God, where are you? How long do we have to wait? But the book of Habakkuk doesn't just ask the question, the book of Habakkuk answers the question. The way the book is sort of structured is Habakkuk is going to pray twice. God, I don't understand how this could be your plan of goodness and justice, and God is going to answer him pretty directly. So we're going to get the inspired answer of God to questions like this today. And that's why we think that this is such an important study. Because whether you've asked this question or not, at some point, you will. And so we want to give God's framework for how you answer these sorts of questions. Before we get into the book, I just want to give a few sort of outline notes Habakkuk was a prophet during the last days of the nation of Judah. We don't have an exact time for when he was, but as we'll see pretty clearly in the story, Judah's time as a nation is almost up. There is not very much left. The exile is coming, and it's coming fast. And so I put this outline, sort of my outline, this isn't official by any means, but this is my outline of the book to kind of help you as we read through it together. But essentially what we're going to see is twice Habakkuk's going to pray to God. And twice he's going to get answered. And then the last section, that last chapter, chapter 3, is Habakkuk... It says it's a prayer, it's also a song, it's both, it's poetry, it's beautiful, and it's Habakkuk sort of reasoning through the answers God has just given him, and that's the sort of conclusion to the book. 
So if you are in your Bibles today with me, and I encourage you to read along, we are going to read the entire book of Habakkuk together, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am rising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves." Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen came from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up the earth and take it. They, then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will, what I will answer concerning my complaint." And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never had enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not 
All these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those who will, wake, who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will, will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple, and let all the earth keep silence before him. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to the Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand, and there He veiled His power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, 
For the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters." I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Before we read... We talked about that key question. Where is God when evil and unrighteousness happens? And that's really where Habakkuk chooses to start the book. The first prayer, we really see Habakkuk plead with God. And what he's pleading about is there's all of this rampant unrighteousness, injustice, evil, violence, all around the people of Judah. He says God's Torah is abandoned and ignored. There is violence and oppression and injustice all over the place, and the leaders of God's people do nothing to work on any of this unrighteousness. It's really an awful picture of the people being just about as bad as they can possibly be. But if that's not bad enough, remember, these aren't the pagans. These are God's people. These are the people who are supposed to be God's nation on the earth, following him in every way. And yet, they are caught up in all of this evil and unrighteousness. And Habakkuk sees this, and it really cuts him. He is troubled. He says, these are God's people, and yet they're just about as bad as you can possibly be. So he calls out to God. He says, God, when are you going to come fix your people? There's all of this nasty stuff happening, and he kind of accuses God of just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. He says, how long are you going to idly watch this? The idea that Habakkuk seems to have is that God is watching all this happening and he's just kind of kicked back in his chair just waiting to see how it's going to play out. And Habakkuk kind of challenges God. When are you going to do something about all this evil and oppression? It seems to me, just based off the prayer itself, that Habakkuk has been praying this for a while. He asks, how long will I have to watch this? How long will I have to cry out to you? I don't think that this is something that's troubling Habakkuk for the first time. I think he's been struggling with this for a while, and it feels like God's not responding. But in the second half of the chapter... God does respond. And his first response is simple. 
God assures Habakkuk, don't worry, I know exactly what's going on. I see the violence and the wickedness and the unrighteousness. I'm completely aware. And don't worry. In fact, as we speak, I'm working on this. I'm sending Babylon to come punish Judah. That is not what Habakkuk had in mind at all. He wanted God to fix Judah. He wanted God to restore Judah. And instead, what God's plan is, is to punish and exile Judah. And not just to punish and exile Judah, but to do it with the Babylonians. Habakkuk kind of challenges God here. He says, I don't know if you've noticed, God, but the Babylonians are about as bad as you can possibly be. The Babylonians are the worst of the worst. Where we may ignore and abandon God, the Babylonians make themselves gods. Whereas Judah is violent and oppressive, the Babylonians, they scoop up all the nations of the world like they're fishermen. They treat people like animals to be conquered Habakkuk is really looking at God and he's saying, are you really sure that you can use that evil, awful nation as a tool for you? He's crying out to God and saying, how can you reject us, your people, and choose Babylon, who doesn't care anything about you, and are even more evil than we are. But Habakkuk, to me, seems to know that that's not the whole story, that he's missing something. He calls God his holy one. He calls God the rock. He, he knows he cares about justice and righteousness, that there's something else at play here. And so that's why I find the end of Habakkuk's second prayer so powerful. Habakkuk portrays himself as a watchman over the city. He says, I know that I don't have the full story here. And I know that at some day God is going to send his word and that I'm going to be able to have a full, more full picture and so until then, I'm going to set out like a watchman waiting for God's word, waiting for how all of this can be a part of the good, just plan of God. Habakkuk, when he's really confronted with these struggles, says, I will wait for God's word to tell me what's really going on. And eventually, God's word does come, and it's exactly how Habakkuk thought it was. God knows that Babylon is an evil people. This isn't news to him in any way. He says, don't worry, Babylon's time is coming. They will be judged, but for a time, they will, I will use even them as a tool of my good and righteous plan." So that answers Habakkuk's question. But God continues on, I think speaking to a 
more maybe widespread, worldwide kind of issue. Speaking even to us, God is about to describe the state of Babylon, but it becomes clear as he's describing Babylon, he's not just talking about Babylon. He's describing sort of the ploy of every nation that's ever gotten powerful. And it's not a very good picture. God says, here's what happens to powerful nations. They become idolatrous. They take advantage of the poor. They oppress the weak. All their leaders care about isn't actually helping people. It's about grabbing more power. And it's about drinking and partying. God says, this is the state of all governments. There isn't a good one. In other words, given enough time and enough power, every nation that rises up will become corrupt, they will become evil, and they will be judged for what they do. And it's really a sad cycle that God paints. That one nation will rise up and they'll become evil, and they'll be toppled by another nation that will rise up and become evil, and they'll be toppled by another nation, and it just keeps going on forever and forever. And like Habakkuk, we have the question, how long will it be like this? How long will we have to endure this cycle of unrighteousness and injustice? But God gives us a few hints to a bigger picture. A few times throughout the chapter, God talks about a day where the righteous will be saved by their faith. And that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God's glory. And that, in verse 20, the famous picture of God coming to his temple and all of the earth keeping silent before him in awe of his power and his glory. The message of God here is clear. Yes, All of the evil nations and oppressors will be judged by God. God will conquer all evil. But those who cling to him, those who take him as their refuge, will continue on in life in the presence of God's glory. And that leads us to the final chapter of the book, the third and final prayer from Habakkuk, this beautiful song that reflects on the lessons that we've learned throughout the book and emphasizes these main points that we're all supposed to get from this part of Scripture. Habakkuk's psalm starts with this idea of the future great judgment of God, that God is going to come in His power and glory, and the entire world is going to take notice. That God is going to come and He is going to show His dominion over the seas and the mountains and over all nations, the sun and the moon. When God comes in judgment, He is going to defeat evil forever. Habakkuk uses this imagery of the exodus and the conquest, of God coming, him sending plagues, him conquering rivers and mountains, and then him bringing his people 
to a further, uh, a further standing in their land. Using this idea of there is a new exodus coming. And in this new exodus, God is going to destroy all evil forever. But His people will stand in faith and in life. The righteous will be delivered and saved. Habakkuk has this really interesting picture where the sort of personification of evil, he pictures him as a king, is reaching out, trying to kill Habakkuk and trying to kill the poor and the weak. And just as he's about to be God, just as evil is about to get to the righteous, God kills evil forever. Guilt deals them the death blow. And the picture that Habakkuk brings is that God is going to take care of all evil in the end. You may have to endure hardships now. You may have to endure oppression now. But God will handle all of this in the end. The answer of the book of Habakkuk is where, to where is God when evil is happening? Is God is right there with you. God is watching. God is acting even though you can't see it. And if you rely on him, God will make it all worth it in the end. God will establish you. God will deliver you. God will save you. You just have to trust him to do it. And that's really the main thrust of what Habakkuk is trying to get us to see. So Habakkuk says, yes, there is awful evil in this world. There is unrighteousness and injustice, and it is bad, and it is okay to mourn and weep over that evil. It's okay to struggle with that evil, but in the end, rest assured, God will destroy the evil of this world. God will destroy sickness. God will destroy death. God will destroy the oppressors and the violent. God will destroy all of the things in this world that trouble his people. And he will establish those that are righteous and follow him in life. So cling on to God while you can. Make him your refuge and let him deliver you. And the message for us is the same. Whatever is troubling you, whatever trials you're going through, whatever is oppressing you right now, whether it be a powerful nation and government, whether it be the people that you trust, the very people of God, whether it be sickness and disease, whatever it be, God will deliver you in the end. God will defeat all sin and evil eternally. And all he asks is that you join him, that you trust him. Let us pray and then be dismissed to our classes. Father, help us to cling to you in your righteousness. Help us to trust you to be our refuge. We are in awe of your glory. 
We praise you for your power and your majesty. Despite all the evils of this earth, despite the trials, the death, the sickness, we know that you reign and we know that you will deliver your people in the end. All we ask is that you strengthen us as we follow you. All this we pray in your son, our Lord's name. May he come quickly. Amen.